live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. Light the beam. Light the beam. Light the beam. Man, the energy. Let me put it to you another way. Ahem. Ahem. Cowtown. Er, Sacktown. Show me your cowbells and your laser beams. Even the tumbleweeds are turned up for the Kings. Because the Kings and their fans and that home atmosphere and their giant purple laser are pretty much the best thing going right now. Yes, I said that. The Kings, their fans, the hometown vibe, the energy, the gigantic purple laser are in fact pretty much the best thing going right now. And I'm not at all surprised. Neither is anybody who was there back in the day. Neither is anybody who remembers what it was like there back in the day. When they had their day, I saw it firsthand with a couple of our tour stops back then. I saw it. I was there for it. I felt it. And I saw it, of course, when the Kings really had it going back in the day with the likes of Chris Webber, Mike Bibby, Jay Will, Vlade, and the crew. So while they haven't won anything yet, I'm as happy for these long-suffering fans and not at all surprised by the heat and the energy and the vibes they're throwing off there. It is an awesome thing to witness. But no, I'm not surprised. Now, that said, they haven't won anything yet. Not yet. So as great as this is right now, we can't crown their asses just yet. Just as the legend himself, Steph Curry, reminded all of us after the game. Hey, Jim Rome. Hey, Steph Curry. Hey, Jim Rome. Hey, Steph Curry. Hey, Jim Rome. Hey, Steph Curry. What up, dude? Hey, Jim Rome. This I is see. Steph Curry of the Golden State Warriors. In case you forgot, I wanted to remind you of what the NBA is. A man's game. Well, I didn't forget, Steph. But thanks for reminding me nonetheless. What up, dude? Actually, that's not what he said after the game. What he actually said was, quote, this series does not start until somebody wins on the other team's home floor. End of quote. You know, one of the great cliches in the NBA. Except it's not exactly accurate when you get right down to it. Because the Kings can win this series just by taking care of business on their home floor. And they have to take care of business at home in order to make it so. But it doesn't really mean that it's not a series until they win on the road. They don't have to win on the road. They only have to handle their business at home, and they've already done half that job. Winning the first two at home has been Sacramento getting the job done. But let's be real for a second. Sacramento getting the job done is, in fact, a big deal. It's not just, yeah, well, what have they done? They held serve. No, it's a big deal. Getting the job done in the first two games of a playoff series with the four-time champs is no freaking joke. And it means the four-time champs, who are a little out of sorts now, they are, have to win four of five against a team that feels incredible about itself, and they should. You know how I know that getting the dubs into a 2-0 hole is a huge deal? Because it's never happened before, at least not while Steph and Clay and Draymond have been there. The Warriors' core has played 28 playoff series together now, and they have never been down 0-2 in any of them, not until they ran into the beam. Not until they had to deal with this Kings team. But unfortunately for you, Sacktown, the beam, 
and the Cowbells and that 2-0 lead are not what everybody's talking about right now. I'm trying to. That's why I led with it. I want to make sure you get your run and your shine and your credit. But what most people are talking about today is Draymond Green stomping on DeMontis Sabonis. If somehow you missed that last night, here was the incident in question, which went down with just over seven minutes left to play. Monk puts it up. And Curry's got the board. Green gets tied up. And a technical has been assessed. Sabonis is down. Let me say this. Draymond stepped on him, but Sabonis grabbed his leg first. And let me say this. I have to say of all the, quote, incidents involving Draymond over the years, I have to say this is one of the more amusing ones to me. Look, I get it. You shouldn't stomp on people. But if you're going to stomp a dude, that's how you stomp a dude. You wait until he's lying on the ground, grabbing at your leg, and you have nowhere else to go, and then you stomp down hard and launch yourself up in the air while you bounce off the world's springiest trampoline. I mean, I'm sorry for Sabonis, but that bleep was pretty hilarious to me. Laugh out loud. I'm sure not to any of the parties involved, but I'm not one of the parties involved, so I found it all pretty hilarious. (laughs) I'm not really sure what Sabonis thought would happen. Or what else Draymond was supposed to do in that situation? As soon as Sabonis grabbed the dude's leg, there was only one way that was going to end. With Draymond stomping said dude out. I don't have to sit here and wonder how or why this happened. It happened because Sabonis grabbed a dude's leg while lying on the ground. A point that Draymond made sure to drive home after the game. My leg got grabbed. Second time in two nights. Referees just watch it. I got to land my foot somewhere. And I'm not the most flexible person, so it's not stretching that far. So you didn't really see where you were stepping? You just kinda... I, I can only step so far and pulling my leg away. So what was, it is what it is. What was the explanation they gave? I know they gave him a technical, then obviously you... <clears throat> the explanation was I stumped too hard. I like Draymond saying he had to put his leg somewhere. Somewhere. So he put it on dude's sternum. I mean, he could have put it on dude's trachea or his melon. Now, in defense of Sabonis, he did stomp pretty hard. And Draymond didn't just stomp pretty hard. He also sprung up off of Sabonis like dude was made of rubber. But again, only after he got his leg grabbed. And Draymond says that's two times in a row. Here's a pro tip. If you want to avoid getting stomped during a live NBA game, then you probably want to avoid grabbing on a dude's leg while you're lying on the ground underneath said dude. Especially that dude. Or on the flip side, if you're looking for the best way to get stomped during a live NBA game, then just do that. Especially to that dude. Look, I've got no problem with the double flagrants. Ejecting Draymond was a bit much, I think. But I'm not surprised. I'm not going to die on that hill, arguing that point. He did stomp a dude. I would say, though, a suspension, a suspension after an ejection would be over the top. That to me would be overkill. And Dubs fan, don't come in here and tell me that's why you lost that game. 
Unless you're going to make the argument that Draymond stomping a dude galvanized the wrong team, the Kings, instead of the Warriors. Then you would be right. Then you'd be right in saying that's why we lost. Because the Warriors did not rally around that, but the Kings did. And that was one of the biggest reasons why you lost that game. Because the Kings did rally around that. That did galvanize them. That did bring them together instead of the Warriors. But no, I don't want to hear that Draymond deserves a suspension on top of the ejection because he doesn't. More of a Kings fan, here's something else. You should not be begging for a cheap suspension for an edge in this series. You actually don't need that. But what you will need is a lot more of exactly what you've been doing all year long because there is still a long way to go in this series. Hey, listen, you want to beat these guys at their best. To be the man, you got to beat the man. Don't you want to take down the defending champs at full strength? Don't be begging for a cheap suspension. Now, that said, and I know I'm bouncing back in this, you know, kind of like Draymond bounced off of Sabonis. Thank you, Alvin. I'm not pronouncing the dubs dead. Nobody is reading the Warriors their last rites. Nobody is counting these dudes out. At least I'm not. Not yet. Yes. I'm not saying that. Exactly. Thank you, Avi. Again. I'm not saying that they're not being outplayed. They are. I'm not saying they're not being outclassed. They are. I'm not saying that they aren't being outphysicaled. They are. I'm not saying they're not being outcoached. They are. And I'm not saying that they're not melting down at the worst possible times because they are. Hell, the Kings are the ones who look like they've won four rings. And the Warriors are the ones who look like they have not been in this spot in more than a decade and a half instead of Sacramento. What I'm saying is this. I'm not throwing dirt on the defending champs just yet. However, I do know where the hell the shovel is. The shovel is out. In fact, I'm looking at it right now because it is going to take a serious, serious effort for the Warriors to beat these guys four times in five games. That's why Kings fan is so hyped. And when Kings fan gets hyped, they don't take their shirt off. They don't. They don't. They don't take their shirt off, but they do light the beam. And if you're going to tug on a dude's leg, you probably are going to get stomped on. Players' legs are their livelihoods. You knew Draymond was going to react to that. Draymond used Sabonis like a trampoline on a slam ball court. If that play happened on the other end, Draymond would have went to the rim with a double somersault tomahawk windmill jam. And credit to Sabonis for selling it. Urgh, for taking it. Urgh, for acting like he got a grand piano dropped on his chest. Urgh, or the scoreboard. Or the both. Or a house. Or all three. Man, light that damn beam. 
You like that beam. Guys, keep yourself tight and feeling confident Sat with new and improved Dove Men Plus Care Antiperspirant, reformulated with 72-hour sweat and odor protection and one-quarter moisturizing cream. Stop worrying about your underarms so you can be present for the moments that matter. Do not let underarm insecurities keep you at arm's distance from the ones you care about. Buy new and improved Dove Men Plus Care Antiperspirant with 72-hour sweat and odor protection wherever personal care products are sold of course i'm talking about the pro football doc dr david chow doc it's great to have you on how are you i'm doing great thanks for having me on and uh, i did spend a little time working with the timberwolves and bulls but not as extensive with the chargers so more than just football but the nba injuries as you talk about jim so much for load management all season, huh? Yeah, uh, game right. one of the a lot of these playoff series, and look at all these injuries. All right, so let's talk about that. And I was going to bring up your NBA background as well because you do know that too, Doc, and you have spent time there. Let's talk about the Lakers and the Grizz first as they get ready for the start of game two. What did you see in the video of John Morant going down with that hand injury in Sunday's loss? And then what do you think his status will be going forward? Well, Every, obviously, he didn't finish the game, and there's been lots of pessimism and frustration on John Morant's part. But as we look at the video, the video looks bad the way his fingers are bent back and then his wrist is bent. But we didn't expect any fractures, and there are no fractures. Is there soft tissue damage? Yes. Is there swelling where it was reported that he couldn't even unball a sock? Yes. And the swelling the first day after is probably worse. But they don't play until three days after the injury. So even though all the reports are negative, we're cautiously optimistic that, A, he's got a chance to play in game two, and also that he certainly isn't done for the series. So we're expecting a quicker return for John Morant than most people are right now. And pro football doc, a.k.a. slash pro basketball doc, Slash Pro Most Sports Doc joining us right now, Dr. David Chow. You know, so as always, Doc, with Anthony Davis, when he plays, he can dominate. He's a force. We know this. But more often than not, his availability is a big question mark. He suffered that stinger Sunday before he came back in the second half. Is that an issue or something need needed to be tracked with AD for the rest of the series? Where does that leave him? Well, it is something that needs to be tracked. To his credit, he came back in the second half and played better. At least his numbers were better in the second half than even in the first half. But once a nerve is, quote, tweaked or irritated or he had the temporary feeling of shooting down his arm and where he couldn't move uh, initially, it went away very quickly, which bodes well. However, it can be irritated again, and it is something to watch going forward. Talking to the pro football doc, Dr. David Chow from the Sports Injury Central site. Doc, what about Tyler Hero of the Heat? He broke his right hand diving for that loose ball Sunday. Does that definitively rule him out for the rest of the playoffs should Miami advance? No, it doesn't definitively rule him out. It's likely a metacarpal fracture, the way he got his finger caught and twisted potential for plate and surgery, but with or without surgery, yeah, it's probably a four to six week recovery timeline. Four weeks is on the optimistic side. And the way that the series are scheduled out this time, I mean, it's about two weeks for the first round and two weeks for the second round. If you get to the conference finals, he's got a chance. Now Miami is the eighth seed and they got to stay alive. But if Miami stays alive, Hero does have a potential chance to return but that's going to take the Heat winning a couple of series. All right, so what about Giannis? Now, the Bucks are optimistic that Giannis will play tomorrow after going down with that back injury on Sunday. 
The x-rays were negative. How limited might he be? And what do you think the Bucks training staff can do for him to get him ready for tomorrow? Where do you come out on that? We anticipate a high six score for Giannis. We're in the mid to high 80s now. We'll probably upgrade it to the 90s. When he fell in game, we were optimistic. Now, spasm got him. But the way that he fell, it was a hard fall. But that's not going to be a fracture. That's not going to be a nerve issue. That's not going to be long-term. In no way, shape, or form are we calling Giannis soft. I mean, the spasm had him locked up, and he couldn't finish the game. But spasm doesn't last multiple days. The medical staff will be able to get on that. We expect a fully healthy Giannis for this next contest. And uh, that was our opinion in-game when it happened. And now there are leaked reports that it's probably going to happen, that he'll be fine. So, Doc, when you say six score, for those who don't know, does that represent a probability of him playing? What goes into the six score in this case? Well, Sports Injury Central score, SIC, or six score, 100 is you've got no issues and whatever, and very few players are at that. But 90s means you're in the 90s, 90% health. From a fantasy perspective, 90-some percent or 95% of what your output, normal output, might be. And, of course, the different scores can be lower than that. But we're optimistic on Giannis for this. We're talking to the pro football doc about the NBA playoffs. Doc, what about the Clippers? They're looking to take a 2-0 series lead over the Suns. But, again, they're not going to have Paul George. He has not played since March 21st due to that sprained knee. If the Clips do move on to the second round, do you think he'll be ready to go at that point? I think he's getting close. Yes, that was our thought, that he would miss at least the first round when it happened. This was a knee hyperextension injury with likely bone bruise. Some people compared it to Giannis, the previous playoffs, where he returned very quickly. But that was a chronic issue on Giannis, so there was no new damage. Paul George is on pace for some sort of return, I believe, in the second round, uh, if the Clippers are there. All right, so we're talking to the pro football doc. Before you go, you are the pro football doc. Let's move to the NFL. Patrick Mahomes said yesterday that he's still rehabbing that high ankle injury that he suffered in the divisional round of the playoffs in January. I'm curious what your reaction is to that, and should there be grave concerns or concerns at all if he's not 100% yet? No, I mean, it was a high ankle sprain. I mean, in the NFL, it's always never too high, never too low. Never too low that he had the high ankle sprain. And, and we talked on, on your podcast and other things about how we thought that Patrick Mahomes would actually be very effective on the high ankle sprain because he doesn't throw from a stable platform. He's not a five- or seven-step drop and drive off the back foot. He can wrong foot throw, off-axis, off-platform throws, and he played very well in the Super Bowl. The fact that he's still rehabbing and has some ankle issues is of essentially zero concern. It's a high ankle sprain. It was always a significant injury. He wasn't faking it. This is part of the normal off-season process. No concerns there. A lot more concerned for Brock Purdy than than uh, than uh, Patrick Mahomes. Pro football doc joining us. So that should be good news for Chiefs fans. I was going to go there next. In fact, I'm curious about this. So Brock Purdy, doc said, and we know he had elbow surgery on March 10th, but then said that when asked, what about next year? How do you feel about next year? Are you going to be able to play? He said, I don't know. You know, based on what you know about that injury, what is a typical timetable, and what do you make of what he said? Yeah, exactly what we said uh, at Radio Row when we saw, saw each other and chatted a little bit. He hadn't even had the surgery then, yet the reports were he'd be fine for training camp. Obviously, when he had so finally saw the surgeon, it was delayed. I've said all along, this is indeed an injury to the Tommy John ligament. Is it classic Tommy John reconstruction surgery like most baseball players 
for a chronic injury? No. But it's still surgery on the Tommy John ligament. Okay, it's a repair. But what I saw along is it's possible he could be ready to play the start of the season, but it is far from a guarantee that he will do so. Look, uh, Kyle Shanahan even said it could be uh, four weeks before he's back. And now Brock Purdy's being honest about his situation. Good, he's got the brace off, but that's a long way from throwing and being 100%. And you have to also be a little cautious, even if he makes it early season, here's a young quarterback without any off-season development. So it's something to watch for the 49ers, and it remains to be seen if he'll be ready week one. And I think uh, kudos to Brock Purdy. He actually was being honest in that he wasn't sure. He had to take it one day at a time. And that's where we've been on this the whole time. Talking about football, Doc. Doc, what about, one last thought, how about Tua? Like, are the Dolphins almost out of the woods with Tua? Or frankly, will they never be out of the woods with him? What's his status? Well, you know, in terms of concussions, of course, he had the two documented concussions, right? But uh, others have had more than that. Look, once you have concussions, are you potentially more likely to? Uh, Potentially, yes, but it has to be judged independently. I've always felt that Tua would be able to return to play next season, and obviously he's going to. It's something they're just going to have to watch and be careful with uh, for the rest of his career because of uh, each, every time you get a concussion, potentially you're more likely to get it. But this morning as you came on the air, we celebrate some good news. As we've talked about, last time I chatted with you was DeMar Hamlin, and we were saying that, uh, look, the option to return to football, it, we're expecting it to be open to him. And today he was cleared, and he's back with the Buffalo Bills. So uh, some good news there. I'm really glad you brought that up, Doc. So why don't you elaborate on that really quickly? What is your reaction to that news, and what's that say about him? Well, it says he's what he's been all along. He's you know all the stuff he's doing for for uh, heart health and so forth is awesome. He's a great kid. He's making a great recovery. We always felt that physically he would be able to return to football. Now, we didn't want to jump the gun. We waited till he was out of the hospital. With this isolated cardiac event with associated lung injury, anticipating no long-term residual, which left, which left and slash leaves the option of returning to football open to him. And today he's on the practice field and back with the Bills. So, you know, as scary as that all looked in real time, with this type of injury, Thankfully, there's no long-lasting residual, and that's something to be celebrated, and it's something that we expected, and this is one case that we're thrilled to be right about. Really good news, really good news. He is the pro football doc, Dr. David Chow. You can find his analysis. In fact, he's got an entire staff, and they cover virtually every major sport. In fact, they do. It's at Sports Injury Central. The website is SICscore.com. Doc, really appreciate it. Thanks for elevating the conversation. Always good to talk to you, Doc. Thanks, Jim. Discover credit cards do something pretty awesome. At the end of your first year, they automatically double all the cash back you've earned. That's right. Everything you have earned doubled. All the cash back from eating at your favorite restaurant doubled. All the cash back from that trip where you sort of learned to snowboard also doubled. And the best part, you don't have to do anything ridiculous to get it. Discover does it automatically. Seriously, though. See terms and check it out for yourself at discover.com slash match. You know who's not messing around? You know who's not playing? The 76ers. More specifically, my dude, Joel Embiid, is not playing around. Joe is not satisfied with torching the hell out of the nets on the floor in this series. That's not enough for Joe. 
Apparently, he's just as serious about torching them from the podium after the game. You know, there's a very good reason why this dude calls himself Troel. Incredible gloss. Even though it's self-gloss, but still incredible gloss. I didn't give him that name. I wish I did. That's how much I like that. Because it fits. It's one of the best self-glosses ever. And if you say to me, yeah, Rome, but I thought you were against it. I am. Unless it's that guy and it's that good. Because when Joel is in Troel mode, nobody is safe. Just ask Jacques Vaughn. Just ask, ask Nick Nurse. Troel put up a 20-19-7 game yesterday. Absolute fire in game two last night. However, what he did to Jacques Vaughn in the postgame may have been even more brutal. They kind of took the Nick Nurse spot uh, of uh, begging for free throws and calling, you know, calling out the referees. And, you know, that did come out and, you know, they got a, they got a lot of calls, which I guess is good for them. Uh, but, you know, I, I think we didn't play our best basketball. Uh, but why, what happened in the second half was uh, we just figured out, you know, what worked and um, we just kept doing it over and over and over. And, um, you know, they stuck to the game plan. They didn't make any adjustments. And, uh, you know, and we just figured out and, you know, just kept playing together. Damn. Somebody pull Troel off Jacques Vaughn. That really is one of the all-time mid-series roasts I think I've ever heard. That would be incredible after a series clinching win or even after some random one-off game in November. But that is one of the best post-game sound bites ever in the middle of a playoff series. First of all, you got my guy Nick Nurse taking a random stray right off the bat. And then Tro, short for Troel, Tro rhymes with Joe, Tro moves on to Jacques Vaughn, saying that the Nets went with the Nick Nurse approach of, quote, begging for free throws and calling out the referees. Begging for free throws and calling out the referees. Amazing. And then he admits that it actually sort of worked for a time, that they did get a bunch of calls, and good for them. But that's when Troel went next level with it. He said the Sixers did not play their best basketball, but, quote, what happened in the second half is we just figured out what worked, and we just kept doing it over and over and over. And they stuck to their game plan. They didn't make any adjustments, and we just figured it out. End of quote. Like, I like Jacques Vaughn. I like him as a coach. I like him as a dude. I always liked him as a player. But damn, boom, roasted. I'm only surprised that Joel stopped right there and didn't start by critiquing JV's rotations as well. Maybe call him out for letting his beard die and gray out. But I guess his point, you know, because the point being, Jacques does not make adjustments. Jacques did not make any adjustments. Not on the floor and not to his beard. He's letting them bleed out on the floor, and he's letting his beard die. Make an adjustment. Look, I know the Nets are not exactly the scariest team in the league since they traded for KD. I mean, you can even say that. I mean, this is why he's trolling. He's trolling a team that's not that scary. 
but it's still amazing. I mean, think of it this way. They don't have Kyrie anymore, so at least they've got that going for them. And at least they aren't dead on arrival like any team rostering the part-time player and full-time franchise killer like the Mavericks. But no, from potential dynasty to not being a threat to anybody at all, least of all, Troel or Joel. Meanwhile, the Sixers don't just have Troel. They also have Doc Rivers leading the way, giving his patented generic motivational speeches. You know, like the one that aired on TNT after Doc called a timeout. Doc was furious. Doc did not like what he was seeing. Not in the first half and not in the start of the second half. So he had had enough. He called timeout and then lit into his team. Check out this turning point of the game. Come on, guys. Come on. But listen, we, it's up to y'all what y'all want to do. I mean, look, we got to trust. Come on. Call us what we got to get motion and movement. Come on. Come on. Let's go. Let's go. Come on. I mean, dang. Was that Doc Rivers or was that Herb Brooks or Rudy? Dang, coach. Point me to the nearest concrete wall because I just got the sudden urge to run right through one. Or maybe to take a nap. I can't really tell. Okay, that's what you would think that would be like, right? You'd think that that would be my reaction. But we didn't get the full context. Apparently, they could not televise the good part of Doc's timeout speech because there was a good part. And they couldn't televise it for obvious reasons because Doc got nice. And by getting nice, I mean Doc got really profane. Luckily, after the game, the beard let us in on what actually went down during that timeout. Cursing us out. Just cursing us out. Well, there you have it. You might all be shocked to hear me say this, but the Sixers did not win because of Doc's timeout or Doc's speech or Doc cussing everybody out. They won because, wait for it, here comes your hot take of the day. They're better. They're much better. They've got nothing to be afraid of. They've got nothing to worry about as it relates to the Nets. They won because they are much better. They won because my dude Tyrese Maxey was balling the hell out. And they had my other dude, Joel, in Troel mode, both on and off the floor. And when all of that is working, they're pretty freaking scary. What I'm trying to tell you, Philly fan, is you may have yet another local team looking to make a deep playoff run. It's like y'all can't miss right now, Philly fan. I didn't even get to shout you out last week. I wanted to, believe me. I didn't even get to shout you out for one of your better showings in recent years where you showed up to the yard to fling hot dogs around Citizens Bank Park. And no, I'm not making that up either. They weaponized their dollar dogs. They tried to do that much on Dollar Dog Night in Philly. Hey, what are you going to do if you're a Philly fan? And a dog is a buck. They're only a buck. Are you going to eat that dog, or are you going to turn around and weaponize that dog? Of course they're going to weaponize the dog. And they did, naturally. Philly fans sold that place out, bought up nearly $60,001 hot dogs, and then did the absolutely most inevitable thing ever as it relates to Philly fan. And they started throwing them around the ballpark, whipping those dogs around like they were D-cell batteries, hammering hot dogs like they were empty 
vodka, vodka bottles, tomahawking hot dogs like they were empty vodka bottles. It was so perfectly Philly. It was so epic, so much so that it jumped the week. I had to get to it at some point. But then again, everything Philadelphia does right now is pretty epic, including Joel going Troel for the playoffs. That's got to be right near the top of the list. This doesn't even include them hooking up their franchise quarterback with an unbelievable deal, which I want to get to as well later on. Man, it's good to be a Philly fan right now. It is good to be a Philly resident right now. Yes, I said it. Let's go. Yeah, not one of Doc's better speeches. Doc usually is pretty more or pretty much more communicative than that. And then he was later in the timeout when the F-bomb started to fly. But let's go, let's go, let's go. It's not really a good way to get anybody to go do anything. And they weren't doing anything until then. U.S. Cellular has some great news, especially for you, person listening to this podcast. Right now, you can get one line with unlimited data for just $29.99. So, unlike other cell networks, you won't have to pay for lines you don't need just to get a good price. Get one line for $29.99 with unlimited data today. U.S. Cellular, built for us. Terms do apply. Visit uscellular.com for details. Let's go to Stockton, Zach. Good to have you, Zach. What's going on? Romy, what's going on? Man, I was at the game on uh, Saturday night in the vibes down there at Doco. Um, from about one to five before the game or before the doors even opened for the game were insane. Um, the entire downtown area was packed an hour before the game. The doors were full all the way to the restaurants heading out to the streets on, uh, K and J street. Um, I got in there, um, at like right when the doors open and no kidding, man. 30 minutes before tip-off, before the team even came out, the entire arena was full with their white T-shirts on. It was insane. I, I've never experienced a vibe like that in Sacramento. I've, gone, I've been going to games for the last 12 years. Uh, I got a young daughter, and she was there uh, to experience that outside of the stadium. And, man, it's something that I'll never forget. I was there with my boys, who we've been through the ups and downs in the last, you know, 16 years, and uh, I wouldn't have rather spent it with anyone else. Uh, big shout out to all my boys out in SAC, and man, we love the we love the love up here, Romy. Go Kings, brother! All right, let's go to the phones. We go to San Antonio, Ed. What's going on, Ed? <laughs> hey, Jim. I'm gonna be one of the first to give a tip of my hat and an add a girl to Amber in Portland for the acquisition of her golden ticket last week even though it was kind of my, at my expense. But, you know, all you clones that are buttered over that, you know, there's a reason why she's on the watch list, because her takes don't suck and most of yours do. You know, Amber's kind of like Jack Savage. She'll get in, she'll book punch you in the face and get out. Her attacks are surgical and her defense is impregnable, and I would never, ever go toe-to-toe with her. Well, I'd probably have to go up a weight class. But I have to be transparent. I did come across her social media last week, and she's actually an attractive lady. Like Kathleen, no sharp edges, high cheekbones, low self-esteem, and like Silk, a solid B-cup. But let me put this 
delicately. You know, she's kind of what we'll refer to in college as a moped. Nothing wrong with them. They both get you where you want to go. You just don't want to let your friends see you on one. So, Amber, enjoy that golden ticket. Hey, any day, Alvin. No. Any week, like Alvin. I don't like that call. Any year, Alvin. Not a very good call. Alvin, if personal appearances are not show fodder, how in the hell did that guy get as far as the moped blast? Just asking, Alvi. Alvi's looking at me like, what? What? Oh, you want me to run him? Nah, nah, he's not there yet. Not until he referenced her as a moped. Wow, Ed, now you're done. That that did not oh, get no. you on the watch list, Ed. Why y'all gotta hate? She earned it. She earned it. A lot of you were saying, softest golden ticket ever, Rome. Softest golden ticket ever. Yeah, except that saying that it's the softest golden ticket ever not only does not make it better, it's not going to get you on the watch list. Instead of hating, can any of you turn this on its head even once? Do something that will make it better. You dragging somebody else does not make it better, nor does it make it any more likely that you're going to get on that watch list. Now, maybe deep down you know you're not, so this is why you're going there. This is your only card that you can play. I know I don't have what it takes. I know I don't have that kind of game. I know I can't run with the big dogs. I know I can't even run with Amber. Therefore, since I know Rome will never bequeath to me one of those valuable golden tickets, I'm just going to keep talking junk. And I'm going to show up and do what Edges did. Thinking that's going to get him any kind of positive run. Dude, all that's going to do is get you posterized by anybody who matters. Dude, come on, Ed. Come on, Ed. Really, that moped blast? Dude, she's so much better at it. Like, what are you known for, Ed? Make me a sandwich. That, that's like your sandwich. A material, dude. That is your, that's your best material. Her worst material is better than your best material. Total biggies in. Give Ed a damn golden ticket and a sandwich. Carlin Prescott, that was great. Put Ed on the watch list. Oh, yeah, no, I know. I'm not saying that there's not an audience of three or four dopes who thought that was amazing. There is. Including James Kelly, who I'm sure loved that. Canadian Hitman did. Quote, that comparison to Silk was gold. Again, I'm, I'm constantly walking the line. The fine line, not of blasphemy like Jay Stu famously said back in the day, but this line of biting the hand that feeds. No, a lot of you love that, and you show up every single day, and you do what you do for the program, and I need you, and I have gratitude, and I'm grateful for that. But I can't condone that, right? What would that say about no, me? No, no. What would that say about the show? She's much like Silk in that she has B cups. So what you're saying is she's not extremely endowed. Who cares? If it, I don't even know if it's true. I don't even give a damn. But that Silk is endowed bro. above the waist. Great take there, bro. Like, how do I say this? Physically speaking... She doesn't show a lot up top, but Silk does. Great take, bro. 
Dear Ed, I don't think we've met. Signed, the 21st century. Brian and the ATL. Dude, they're not even in the same area code or zip code or planet. But then again, this is a guy known for one thing. Why don't you make me a sandwich? Why don't you make me a sandwich? <laughs> to a woman, to his wife, right? Or girlfriend. Like I always, like I always say. Won't you make me a in market, on topic, but in this case, in market on brand. What is he known for? How did he first ding our radar with that? Won't you make me a sandwich? Won't you make me a sandwich? (laughs) Why are your shoes on? Why are you not barefoot? Why don't you make me a sandwich? Good take, Ed. And then roll together about eight of those and you have that last call. Clones, what do you want when you're craving protein or you need more energy? Not bars, not sugary snacks, not energy drinks. You want beef, pure and simple. Where's the beef? It's in a package of Old Trapper Beef Jerky. Old Trapper is not your old man's jerky. Shriveled, dry, tasteless. Old Trapper Beef Jerky is made from lean strips of steak and quality spices that are smoked over a real wood fire. It's tender, it's tasty, it's not tough. And why is it so good? Because Old Trapper is a 50-year-old family business known for its relentless commitment to quality. They take smoked beef extremely seriously and you can taste it in every single bite. Old Trapper is packed with protein. It comes in four amazing flavors to satisfy all your cravings. Quality smoked meat at its finest. It goes with you wherever you go, to the game, to the gym, to the beach. So look for Old Trapper in the Clearview bag. You can see the quality you're buying. Look for it in major retail stores near you. Clones, if you do not see it, ask for it by name because no other jerky compares Old Trapper or What's Your Beef. He is Chris Mannix. Chris, what's going on? How are you? I'm good, Jim. First time Zooming with you, so uh, happy to do it. Dude, I was going to say the same thing. Looking good, sound great, appreciate you. So why don't we start, Chris, with Sacramento. They're up 2-0 on the defending champs after last night's win. It's not just that they're winning, Chris, but how they're doing it. How impressed are you with what you've seen from Sacramento thus far? Very impressed. Um, I-, I was of the belief, and I wasn't alone, that Sacramento was going to be the team that was kind of just happy to be there. Yeah, they were the number three seed, but they were widely considered the weakest of the top three seeds that uh, that were out there in either conference. But I've been really impressed with their defense because this was a team bottom five in the NBA in terms of defensive efficiency during the season. You look at game two. They came out and defended their butts off. You had De'Aaron Fox, Davian Mitchell, Kevin Herter chasing Steph Curry around, forcing him to a, a terrible three-point shooting night. And overall, this team is playing a brand of defense that I haven't seen them play at any point in time during the regular season. So they've stepped up their game, and their defense isn't matching their offense, but it's good enough that because their offense is so good, they're able to win a lot of games. All right, so they're up two games to none. Where do you come out on Draymond Green being ejected with that flagrant two for stomping on DeMontis Sabonis, who received a technical for grabbing his leg? What do you make of that sequence, and then what do you make of the ejection? You know, the sequence was unfortunate. Um, Clearly, Sabonis initiated everything that happened in that sequence. And Draymond needs to be smarter in those situations and not react when he's baited in a way like that. All that being said, I was disappointed that the referees ejected him. Um, I I think if you're an NBA referee, 
you've got to try to look for ways to keep guys in games. I understand it's a perfectly defensible position that the referees ejected Draymond, but it also would have been defensible to give him a flagrant foul one, maybe tack on a technical foul to, uh, uh, as part of it. But I just, I didn't like that the referees, you know, pushed him out of a game that was so close and so competitive for a play that, I mean, look, like I said, it was initiated by Sabonis. And I know that Sabonis went down like he was hit by a Mike Tyson uppercut and he was writhing on the ground and had x-rays after the game. I mean, a lot of ridiculousness went into the, uh, the aftermath of it. But I thought you could have defended keeping Draymond in the game. And if I was the referee in charge there, I, I would have done that. I tend to see it the same way, and by that I mean I see it exactly the same way. He did sell that, like the scoreboard fell on him or something. You know, hard for me to say that the worst thing ever is ejecting Draymond, but I think he should have stayed in the game. Chris, the league's not actually going to seriously consider adding a suspension on top of that, are they? I think it's unlikely. Uh, The league is reviewing it today, and they've got a little bit of time to do that. Uh, But, look, you saw – on the TNT broadcast right after they announced the ejection. You had Monty McCutcheon uh, come on TV. And I've known Monty for a long time. I talk to him all the time. Uh, Monty is consistently, you know, full-throated defenses of his officials, the czar of officiating over at the NBA. And even Monty, if you watched it closely, was pretty lukewarm in his reaction to the decision to boot Draymond Green. He called it a difficult decision. Uh, for the referees. So, you know, based on what how I saw Monty respond, I don't think the NBA is going to do more than, you know, maybe acknowledge that it is a flagrant two, whatever financial penalties come along with that, and everybody move forward to game three. Chris Mannix joining us. All right, Chris, what about Memphis, LA? Memphis loses game one. They lose John Morant in the process. Has this particular series already flipped, and are the Lakers the one to beat, the ones to beat here in this case? I think it flipped before the start of the series, Jim. Like, I have been driving the Lakers to the finals bandwagon for the better part of a month now. I think I wrote a column on it in mid to late March, and I stand by that. Um, I think the Lakers are the best team in the Western Conference right now because I believe in LeBron James and Anthony Davis as a one-two combination. And I don't think Austin Reeves and his play is an aberration. I do think Rui Hashimura, if you're going to leave him wide open for catch-and-shoot threes, is going to make them. I do think D'Angelo Russell is a capable playmaker. Malik Beasley is a capable three-point shooter. I just think they're really good. Now, John Morant's injury and what's likely to be an extended absence, if this was his non-shooting hand, Jim, I give him more of a chance of coming back and being effective the rest of the series. This is right hand. It's a shooting hand. And based on, you know, that injury and how he was cradling it afterwards, I have a hard time seeing him get all that mobility back, you know, during this series. But even without John Moran, I thought the Lakers were the better team because I thought at the trade deadline, they did the right things. And at some point, we got to believe what our eyes are telling us. The Lakers were 18 and 9 after the trade deadline, the regular season, they won six of their last seven going into the playoffs. Yeah, the playing game kind of sucked. They didn't look very good against Minnesota, but they have been good for the better part of two months now. They do have two A-level stars in LeBron and AD, and they finally have a supporting cast around them that makes them work. Chris Mannix joining us. Chris, to be fair, you did write that. You wrote that towards the end of the last month that the Lakers were the team to beat in the West. 
not after game one, but you wrote that last month, so it's so true. They've got a supporting cast. I mean, if they beat Memphis, and again, Memphis was without John Morant late, but if they beat them the way they beat them on a night where LeBron had three, three points in the fourth quarter, you know you finally have a supporting cast. I mean, that is such a good sign for them. One quick thought about AD. Darvin Hammond said it all starts with AD. It all starts with AD. We know this, right? Maybe. And he was dominant in game one. But can you really consistently count on him to be out there? Can you count on him to do that? I think you can at this point. I mean, he came back in late January. And after he came back from that foot injury, he missed three games. And all three of those games were precautionary misses, you know, front end or back end of back-to-backs that the Lakers were playing. Early April, he goes down against Minnesota, has a nasty-looking ankle sprain, gets up, plays through it, plays the next game, doesn't miss anything. Last night, or uh, in game one, uh, he has that shoulder stinger, looks bad. I'm watching the ABC broadcast. They're killing him on there. They don't even know what the injury is, and they're killing him on the broadcast. He doesn't miss any time in the second half, and is the most dominant player. Again, believe what your eyes are showing you. The second half of the season, Anthony Davis has looked like the Anthony Davis we have seen in his best years. He has been healthy, he has been strong, and he has been what the Lakers hoped he would be, which is the guy that takes that pressure off of LeBron, takes the role as number one option for much of the game, allowing LeBron the freedom to do what he did in game one, which was be a facilitator, take one shot, score three points, and allow guys like AD and, again, Austin Reeves to make plays around it. Austin Reeves. I know to your point that this really should not be surprising, but the guy really was amazing. He was incredible. Chris Mannix is joining us. Chris, what about the Suns? Like, the Suns go out and they get Kevin Durant, and they do so not only to win a championship, but to win it right now. Then they open the postseason with a loss at home to the Clippers, who were without Paul George. How much trouble then is Phoenix in after only one game? Look, I I do think game two for them is the season. I don't believe that they're going to be able to win four out of five against the Clippers. So they've got to show up and play big in game two. I do think they'll be better. I mean, Kevin Durant looked out of sorts in game one, and he's been in too many playoff games, Jim, for him to look, you know, that kind of pedestrian for Kevin Durant anyway. Uh, They'll find a way to get him more shots. Didn't get many in the second half, specifically in the fourth quarter. So they'll make their adjustments. But the Clippers even without Paul George, are really good in large part because they effectively take the basketball shackles off of Kawhi Leonard. You know, they're not worried about playing him extended minutes. They don't have to worry about back-to-backs or even playing every other day, you know, for most of this, uh, the first couple of rounds. So, uh, you know, this is this is everything for the Suns. And look, I, I was, I have been leery about picking Phoenix to come out of the West because you just don't make a trade of this significance. You don't shake up your roster as much as Phoenix did uh, and have to turn around and rely on guys like Torrey Craig and Josh Akogi and some other guys. You don't do that and have championship-level success in that first year. I think the Suns can be a championship team with this core, but I think they need an offseason, a training camp, some pieces put around them before we see them get there. You know, I would ordinarily agree. In fact, I do agree with that, but I thought that maybe, maybe you can make an argument that it would work for them because we're talking about KD, who is so flexible and can fit in any single offense. But you're right. It is also about the pieces around him, and I think they're in a must-win situation for sure in Game 2. Chris, what about the Knicks? The Knicks ripped the home court from the Cavs. They're looking to go up 2-0 tonight in Cleveland. How do you feel about this matchup overall? 
You know, the Cavs looked like a team that had never been in the playoffs before. Like, that's exactly what they look like. And I wrote last week that this was the biggest concern in Cleveland. Like, they have all the pieces. They've got a superstar in Donovan Mitchell. They've got an all-star level backcourt in Mitchell and Garland. They've got size. They're the number one defensive team in the NBA. And if you look at the track record going back to 2000, very few teams, I think only two of them, that have been the number one team defensive team in the NBA have lost in the first round. That's how far defense will at least carry you in today's NBA. But the experience thing, that was an issue coming in, and that was an issue in game one. Donovan Mitchell was the only guy that looked like he knew how to be there. I mean, they've got 200-some-odd games of playoff experience on that roster, but 165 of them belonged to Danny Green, and he didn't play in game one. So you've got guys experiencing the postseason uh, for the first time, and now we'll see in game two, having experienced the physicality of it, uh, the pace of it, if they can punch back. I think they're the more talented team than the Knicks. I, I think that Garland, Mitchell, you know, Mobley, Allen, the guys they have in that front court, they're good. They're good enough to beat the Knicks in this first round series, even good enough to win in New York and take home court back. But they can't get three points from Karis LeVert. They can't get a quiet 17 from Darius Garland. You can't have Donovan Mitchell going for 38 and him being the only guy that's really a threat out there. So, you know, it's not up down to Donovan Mitchell in game two. It's can the supporting cast for Cleveland show up for him? I totally agree. I had them in game one. I really, not only did I have them in game one, I really felt good about them in game one. Chris, one last thought. You've been great on all this stuff. What about the Bucks? What would your concern level be? I know they got a pretty optimistic report medically about Giannis, but what is your concern level about them? You've already got other guys trying to come back, including Chris Middleton. What about the Bucks shot now with Giannis in his back? I would have been more concerned, Jim, if Tyler Hero was playing. Um, Tyler Hero's absence just is a killer for Miami because that means they've got to rely on Duncan Robinson, who's been largely out of the rotation, Victor Oladipo, who I don't think Eric's supposed to really trust in these situations. Tyler Hero was a real key cog for them offensively, and his absence is is going to be crippling. It puts even more pressure on Jimmy Butler, and Jimmy's a great postseason player, but that might be too much to overcome. Look, if Giannis is healthy, the Bucs are still far superior out there. They've got great defenders at like three of the five starting positions, and they've got more than enough offensive firepower with Chris Middleton back and playing the way he did in game one. Uh, good win for Miami, no question, but without Tyler Hero, I don't give them much of a shot of not, not only winning the series, maybe even winning one more game in it. Hey, Chris, hate to waste any part of the Zoom call. How about one quick bonus? Ma, now there are calls once again for the lead to get rid of the charging call because of what we saw early on in the first round of the actual playoffs. Is that viable? Is that possible? Can the league really actually get rid of that call? You can't get rid of it because Giannis will average like 60. You know, if you can't step in front of Giannis and at least make him think about, you know, getting an offensive foul, he's just going to barrel into everybody and – and score a lot of points and get to the free throw line 18 times a game. It, it just wouldn't be competitive in that way. What they can do is tweak the rules to make it a little bit safer out there. I think one thing they'll consider in the offseason is extending the restricted area. So, you know, it, there's a little bit more space for guys to operate and more and less room or, or less of an ability for guys trying to take charges to stand there when a guy is going to the basket. I also think they might explore the idea of it a player being ineligible to draw a charge if the player is in motion in his shooting motion. So right now, if a guy's in the air 
a player can't step in front of him. No matter what, that's going to be a defensive foul. You're not allowed to do that. What I think could be explored moving forward is if if a player like Giannis, using him as an example, picks the ball up and is going into the, it's his shooting motion, uh, from that point on, you can't step in front of him. I, I think that will solve some of the issues that are existing right now when it comes to the block charge rule. They'll never get rid of it entirely because it doesn't make a lot of sense. Doc Rivers said as much uh, the other night, but I do think you will see some changes this offseason to make it a little safer because the last thing the NBA wants is to see its superstars on the ground, in pain, and more often than not, Jim, whether it's John Morant, Giannis Tentacumpo, Jason Tatum, it's the stars that are playing above the rim. It's the stars that are going to the basket. It's the stars that are putting themselves in this much danger. I do think you'll see the NBA address this in some form in the offseason. There it is. The last thing the league wants is to have those guys out, especially this time of year. He's a senior writer for SI. He's an analyst for NBC Sports Boston, co-host of the Crossover Podcast, and we finally did the Zoom. Chris Mannix, my guest. Chris, thanks so much. Great job. Anytime. So I've been teasing it, so here it is. The big announcement, time to bust out your Sharpies, get your calendar app open, however you keep track of dates, get ready, get ready. God, I can't stop doing it myself. It's crazy. Because we do have a date. We have a date for Smack Off 29. Yes, you heard me. We have a date for Smack Off 29. (laughs) Can I repeat that one more time? A date for Smack Off 29, 20 freaking nine, 29 consecutive years of the marquee event on the sports radio calendar, an event that debuted back in 1995 and is still going strong in 2023. I mean, among the things I'm proud of, that's right near the top of the list. Could not be more proud of that fact or the fact that we have managed to put on a smack off every single year without interruption now for nearly three decades. And it has grown. It has matured. It has evolved. And as always, I can't wait to do another one, which is why I was pretty hyped when the de facto official of smack off season, Rick in Buffalo, called in. And he made it officially the start of smack off season when he did this last Friday. It isn't smack-off season till Rick and Buffalo says it's smack-off season. So let's go ahead and make it official. It's smack-off season. Now come get some, you little bitches. That guy can third person smack-off season. There you have it. That's how you ring in the best season of the year. As an emailer put it last week, There are three seasons on the sports calendar. Football season, non-football season, and smack-off season. And the best part of smack-off season is anybody can be a part of it. Just like the smack-off itself. To be clear, this is an invite-only event. The ones that are already in know they're already in. But anybody can get in with a golden ticket. Anybody can earn an invite. I would invite anyone and everyone to try to earn an invite. You could even rip that golden ticket with one single call. Of course, if that call is good enough, it's got to be different enough. But it's been done. It can be done again. Hear me when I say this. You could seriously be 
one phone call away from getting a chance to take a run at the five gur, five grand to the winner, zero grand to second place. In fact, nothing at all to second place. It's a winner-take-all event. Not even a set of steak knives. Nothing. That's part of what makes that event that event. It's a winner-take-all. It's not a win-place-and-show here. Just a win. First place, winner. Everybody else, I mean, loser? You're not a loser if you play that day, but loser? So, one call away. Anybody and everybody can be one call away for a chance at Sports Talk Immortality. Five grand. In fact, I would love for some fresh blood to blow in here out of nowhere and shake things up. Nothing would make me happier. If you're somebody who's always been kind of laying in the weeds, knowing deep down that you're better, if not now, then when? What are you waiting for? Now is the time to show it. Get your best shot ready, then take your best shot because now is the time. So, if you're ready, get your calendar app out, get your crayon out, get your calendar out, whatever you mark important things down for. The date for Smack Off number 29 is tomorrow. Now, is Friday, June 30th. Friday, June 30th, 2023. Again, Smack Off 29, Friday, June 30th, 2023. You should have known, right? Generally, it's about six weeks out. It's on. It's so on. We have a nice, long, healthy run-up this year, which means we have a nice, long, healthy smack-off season this year. Love to see it. <laughs> Love to see it. And that run-up will include some player profiles and the like. Winner gets five grand and a belt that nobody can ever take from you, except not an actual belt. You're welcome to go buy your own belt or make your own belt, but you get five grand. You can do whatever you want without money. And by the way, it does not have to be that one amazing call that gets you in. In fact, kind of unlikely that that happens. It's possible. But that's why we have a watch list. There is time. If you start right now, even if you have never called the program, there is time to get in here, take a few shots, build up your smack, get into smack shape, improve your smack fitness, and you should absolutely take that opportunity to get after it. Get some. Shoot your shot. I know that there's an intimidation factor. I know that deep down, the Titans seem like they're almost untouchable at this point. You know, that's one of those deals like back in the day when Tiger Woods was so dominant. It was like Tiger or the field. I know it feels like that. Brad and Corona or the field. Or maybe Brad and Lef or the field. Or maybe you're thinking about Shawnee or the Afraides. Don't get me wrong. These dudes are straight up legends. Stiff competition. World-class competition. It's the best sports radio callers anywhere competing for cash and bragging rights. In fact, I'd even say that like Brad, far be it for me to talk about Brad and his money, but Brad's won that thing so many times, I guarantee another strap is worth more to him than five grand. I'm not asking him to give the money back, but the guy's not doing it for the money. However, if you want to do it for the money, go ahead. That's why there's a $5,000 carrot out there. But I'm telling you, they're beatable. They're beatable. They're takeable. 
You can beat these guys. It's not impossible. Take it from the defending champ, Caleb in Green Bay, who was a first-time champ last year. You have to be good, but those guys can be beaten. Caleb did it. You can come out of nowhere as an underdog, and especially if you're unique. You can win it as a first-timer. As long as you show up like Caleb did last year. If you do that, smack off 29 and the strap and the five Gur first prize can be yours. Take it from Caleb. You spend your summers here. You eat cheese curds and red meat. You sit around all day doing nothing. Who are you trying to reinvent yourself as? One of us? And I get this eerie feeling that one of these years, you're just never going to go back to California. Of course, you'll still have a talk show. But it might sound a little different. Live from Eagle River, Wisconsin, this is the Jim Ramelski Show on CBS Sports Radio. Holy cripes, what's up there, clones? A tremendous Friday to you. My name is Jim Romelski, a.k.a. The Blimp in the Box. Welcome to the Glacier. It's June 24th, and we already have two foot of snow on the ground. Or is there still two foot of snow on the ground? I can never tell the difference. We have a busy show for you, but I want to get you in here. You know the email address, Romelski, R-O-M-E, Elski at haveabrat.com. The Twitter handle is at Jim Romelski. And right now our phones are down, but Eagle River is pretty small, so just yell out your window real quick. We'll probably hear you at the bottom of this hour if we get the phones working. We're going to have a little chit-chat with Farmer John. He's going to tell us what's the best way to get the goose poop off your lawn. At the top of hour number two, we're going to have a glacier legend, a friend of the program, Elk, will be our guest. And I don't mean Steve Elkington, I mean an actual elk will come on to show for a little bit. At the top hour number three, we're going to have Bill Plaschke teach us how to catch a sturgeon with a spear. But let's start this show off the way we do every Friday with a deck of moo. Ben Snack, embrace your destiny. Join us once and for all. The North Woods are calling. See you soon on Wisconsin. On Wisconsin. I forgot to mention Wisco Jim with all the other gyms. Wisco Jim. Wisco Jim did not give that to Caleb because it was Caleb's turn. Wisco Jim gave him the strap because he was the best. He earned it. Shout out, by the way, to the Lorelei in Green Bay, arguably the best jungle bar on planet Earth. And the bar that was hosting Caleb when he found out that he won last year. I'm sure the Lorelei will be having their annual watch party once again this year, and there will be other watch parties around the country. So if you're planning one, thank you very much. Great idea. Let us know, and we will help you promote it. Otherwise, if you want in the field, get up in here now. You want the big stage. Earn it. I've got a giant stack of golden tickets right here. I mean, if there were 20 worthy, I'd give out 20. If there were 50, I'd give out 50. If there's only one, it's one. There's an endless supply. You want it? Get up in here. You want the big stage? Earn it. You want the bright lights? Come and get them. We've had winners from all over the country. It doesn't matter who you are, where you are, where you make that phone call from. It can be you. It can be you. This is what Smack Off season is all about. And on top of that, how about this? 
I have some extra incentives this week. You know what I have? Tommy, in fact, why don't you join me real quick? Because you're sitting on those tickets. I've got the golden tickets. You've got the pay-per-view tickets. What do we have to give away for free this week? Not the golden tickets, not five GER, but we do have something of nice value. What do we have? The Davis Garcia pay-per-view on Saturday night. We have six of them to give away. All right, so we have six pay-per-views. Have six pay-per-views. Which is nice. Really nice fight, really nice value. What do they have to do to get one of those pay-per-views? Because we've got six to give away in the next few days. Just contribute in any meaningful way. Make it better. It can be a call. It can be an email. It can be a tweet. It can be anything that you normally do. If it's good enough, we will throw you a pay-per-view. All right, so you'll make that call. That's right. Good job. All right, there you go. Tommy, the EP, and the gatekeeper. Not only of who gets through, but of the pay-per-views. Davis v. Garcia. Really nice fight. So you don't even have to get on the air and get racked. We're saying best contribution between now and Friday. Phone, email, Twitter, we like you, whatever we want. It's at our discretion. But we won't know you or if we like you unless you make yourself known to us. So it's smack off season. I'd rather you call. But if not, get in here and take a swing. I don't even care who or what you swing at. Just make sure you have a take and that it does not the suck. smack off. That means Alvy's on the clock. Knowing Alvy the way I know Alvy. The world premiere. If the smack off itself is June 30th, the world premiere of Alvin's annual smack off promo should drop right around. If the smack off is June 30th, I don't know, June 28th. <laughs> <laughs> Alvy, you're on the clock. Go to work. Now you're all on the clock. Everybody is. We are officially counting it down. June 30th. Smack up number 29. Come and get some. Do you want to be part of an immortal group? An extremely rare fraternity. 29 of these things, but not 29 winners because there are several multiple winners. Very elite, very exclusive. Get up in here, 1-800-636-8686. All right, let's break. There's your announcement. June 30th. The countdown starts right now.